In the Old Testament, we heard how God called the prophet Jonah to Nineveh. Charmaine Heading sensed God calling her to the same part of the world in our day. She was there to welcome Christians fleeing persecution from ISIS in Iraq and Syria. Charmaine says Christians were left with few options as ISIS moved in. They uh, gave three choices, basically. You can pay a jizya, which was an extortion tax, to basically take away their money and all of their belongings and assets, convert to Islam or die. And so they fled. And we were there helping them when they arrived just north of the Nineveh Plains. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we are gonna talk this week specifically about Afghanistan, about helping Afghan Christians, helping other Afghans who have been affected by the Taliban takeover there. Our guest is the president of the Shai Fund, Charmaine Heading. Shai Fund is an NGO that is helping persecuted Christians, helping Afghan Christians, uh, but also helping persecuted Christians in other parts of the world as well. Charmaine, welcome to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Well, we are excited to have you. Uh, Let's go back almost exactly one year. Uh, The U.S. military is getting ready to pull out of Afghanistan. The Taliban is sweeping across the country. And uh, you are helping Afghans, including Afghan Christians, uh, to get out of Afghanistan. What were those days like for you? Well, picture the scene. It's, It's around the 12th of August. And we've heard that the U.S. government is going to pull out at the same time in anticipation the Taliban starts setting, sending out threatening letters to all of the Afghan underground church that have changed their names in the nas- and faith in the national database. And because these Christians had been brave enough to change their faith in the national database and had registered themselves as Christians, when the Taliban was given that national database by the United States as they handed over, They had access to all of their records, their names, their families, where they lived, where they work. And so a number of them immediately went into hiding. And we immediately galvanized into action because we knew we were going to have to put them into safe houses. We were going to have to hide people. And we had a a window, a period, where possibly in all of the turmoil of the handover, we could start getting planes out. And so I contacted different partners, and some of you might have heard of the great work that uh, Mercury One did. I partnered with them, and they started getting the funding together for the planes while we started running the ground operations. If you can just picture it, it's mayhem, right? The Taliban is taking over. They are going through the streets, they're raiding the houses, they're raiding the areas where they know the people are, that they've got to 
a grudge against or don't agree with what those people did under their Islamic understanding. And the whole area is being raided. They're setting up checkpoints. And at the same time, the Americans have withdrawn only to the Kabul airport. And how do we get the people there on time to get through the gates? And of course, the gates are flooded with people. And at the same time, our security people are saying to us, we've got a warning. There's seven suicide bombers coming from a mosque. They're heading towards this gate, change direction, go towards the other gate. And as you know, one of those gates was blown up and 13 mm-hmm. American service people were taken at that point. And a number of people that we knew, including some of our Christians, had family members blown up at that gate. We, we did eight planes out of Kabul airport in that two initial two weeks. Altogether, we did 36 planes. But in the first two weeks where we'd done the eight planes and then the U.S. government, Biden administration, handed over to the Taliban and we could no, oper- no longer operate from that airport. There was about 18 days where we had multiple people in safe houses. We were losing people. There were raids. People that we heard of um, Christians who got found, the men were killed, the women were raped. And, you know, we didn't know what to do. And it was the most horrendous time before we could actually negotiate um, to use another airfield. And then we were able to also start approaching governments to see if we could get landing permission, because that's the other thing, right? It's one thing to have a plane full of refugees. But let me tell you, there is no country that was willing, even some countries would not even let us fly over their country. Wow. Let alone allow us to land. And eventually, uh, through uh, some contacts with uh, another group, we were able to arrange with the United Arab Emirates that they would take our planes. And so we were then able to do another 36 planes out of this northern airport. But in that period where we didn't know if we would succeed or not, it was very difficult hearing the stories, not knowing if we were going to succeed after the eight planes. And I can tell you it was only by the grace of God and prayer warriors and prayer teams. It was phenomenal how many people were praying at that time and really understood the plight of not only the Christian converts, but also, you know, people who had served alongside American service people and alongside the U.S. Army, you know, translators that or families of translators, because that translator had given up his life to save that American. And they would come to me and say to me, can you help us get this family out? Because they worked for an American, the Taliban are now hunting down their family. And you know, we were inundated. Uh, we, we ended up continuing um, the evacuations by charter flights until almost the end of October. And so God was gracious and he gave us those, that extra time to really help get the people out. You mentioned the prayers of people around the world. And I think, you know, as I, I think about last August, I, I think about the video of people hanging on to the outside mm-hmm. of airplanes Uh, because they were so desperate to get out of Afghanistan. That prayer wave was huge in August and September. There's still a need for us to pray now, though. And I think, you know, obviously different events have happened. Ukraine has happened. People are praying for Ukraine. Are we forgetting to pray for Afghanistan? 
Yeah, I think um, just in the last couple of weeks, there's these three families that have been hunted down. One of the other Christian families uh, I have, they managed to find one of the young guys and they executed him. The need is desperate, and it's because we're struggling to set. We they're in safe houses. We're moving them. We're trying to move them out and get them to safety and arrange a country that will take them. But without the financing and without the Lord opening the way through the prayers of the saints, we won't get this right. And so, what I think my message is today is that the church in Afghanistan is on its knees, and they are being beheaded for their faith. And even though it's not in the news, it should be in our hearts because they are part of us. We are one. And when one part suffers, the other part suffers, says the Bible. And so I'm asking you, don't forget the Afghan underground church. They are the most persecuted. And if we don't continue to pray, they will perish. But with our prayers, they will survive. And they will go on with a great testimony, I believe, because they've been through this this fire mm-hmm. of persecution. The, the purifying fire. Do you hear from any Afghan Christians that hope eventually to go back to Afghanistan? Or, or are most of them, once they get out, they're just like, I'm done. I don't ever want to experience that again. No, I, I do hear. And, you know, there have been some people that have decided that the Lord has have them will have them remain there and and so our part has been not just to to help those who want to go out though I believe when they've had enough persecution we should support them because who are you and I to say please continue yeah. to be persecuted yeah. I will never do that so when they decide that it's enough we help them but there are those that also say I believe that the Lord has asked me to stay here and to continue Uh, you know, preaching the gospel and to continue in my ministry here. And so we also support them at the same time. And that's critical uh, because they really need our support in multiple ways. So we have been doing both and will continue to do both with in partnership with Voice of the Martyrs. Yes. And we do support those. And, you know, it is an amazing, it is an amazing thing to say, yes, I know the Taliban is in charge. Yes, I know my entire family is at risk, but we are staying here. We are going to continue to minister and share. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Charmaine Heading. She is the president of the Shai Fund, uh, helping Afghan Christians. Charmaine, were there were there some particular stories you heard from Afghan Christians that kind of stuck with you or, or kind of just grabbed your heart as you were helping these people to get out of the country. You've got an underground church that is working in home home groups or cell groups. And so now we have the leaders of the underground church, 23 of them, that we're trying to get out as one of the first groups. And we tried over eight times to get them into the Kabul airport. They got shot at. They got thrown out of the Kabul airport by the CENTCOM Marines. Uh, Every combination that you could find, even though we had planes on the tarmac ready and willing to take persecuted religious minorities like these Christians. I remember particularly there was one guy 
and his family, he ran a business and it was for ethnically Hazara Christians who are traditionally Shiites. And he had this business in the north of Afghanistan and the Taliban came and they, they knew that they were going to be raided. He employed all of these Christians because you can't, if they know that you're a Christian, you can't get a job. You can't get access uh, to, you know, any benefits that anyone else would get. You'd be discriminated against. And so he was employing all of these uh, secret believers from who were formerly Shiite Muslims. And so he knows that they're coming and he's working with me to get all of the Christians out on the plains. And I keep, we keep saying to him, but what about you? What about you? And he was so determined to get the last one out that by the time it came to him and his family, it was almost too late. The Taliban came, they barely made it out and they made a run for it. They ransacked the business, they ransacked his home, they put out fatwas against him, they were searching for him home to home, hunting him down and he fled to another part of Afghanistan and we had a plane ready and we were calling him, but we couldn't reach him because they go dark. They have to switch off all their phones and everything. Eventually, we managed to reach him and uh, and get an extraction unit to go out, fetch him and pull him into a, a safe house that we were running. And from there, we got him through another part of the country and, and eventually, praise the Lord, we got him out on one of the first flights and got him out of the country. Charmaine, how did you get involved in, in rescuing people from Afghanistan? It's a pretty unique calling. Well, I've been involved with persecuted religious minorities and specifically Christians for many, many years. You can probably hear I'm South African by origin, and I know what's happened in the Middle East and North Africa. I've lived in these areas most of my life. And then when we saw what happened with ISIS in Iraq and Syria, I really felt the Lord laying it on my heart to get involved and calling me to help his people. And with six weeks later, I was there in Iraq uh, helping the persecuted church as it fled the Nineveh plains, the same Nineveh we read about in our Bibles, and they'd lost everything to this radical form of Islam that swept through both Iraq and Syria, persecuting and killing the Christians and other religious minorities as they came through. They uh, gave three choices, basically. You can pay a jizya, which was an extortion tax, to get, basically take away their money and all of their belongings and assets, convert to Islam or die. And so they fled. And we were there helping them when they arrived just north of uh, the Nineveh Plains. Uh, let's go back to Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, once you get a Christian out of Afghanistan, that that's step one. How are Afghan Christians surviving in, in the places where they've gone to after leaving Afghanistan? It's really necessary for us to bring them out uh, and in order to save their lives. And thank God for Voice of the Martyrs because they've been critical in uh, helping us with that process. And you can't imagine what it's like to put people in safe houses and then to try and move them and, and just the costs that are involved with that. And, and then we need to negotiate with other governments 
willing to take them. And that's been a slow process. Uh, initially, you know, you would think, for example, that the United States would be willing to take uh, the religious minorities, but they haven't been. Um, they've taken people who worked for the U.S. government um, and uh, who worked for the military or who are translators. But one of the things that we've been advocating for is that this category of a P1 visa needs to include religious minorities. And so we've been trying to uh, put pressure on the government to do that. But to date, we haven't been able to do that. So there's currently no mechanism for the religious minorities to come into the United States. And so we've been trying to work with other governments that have been willing. And it's been absolutely an answer to prayer. And God bless Brazil. The president and his wife are believers and they are strong Christians in their faith. And they stood up and said, we will take them. And so Brazil has taken a number of our Christian converts. And uh, we've had a number of them already arrive in Brazil. And they've been welcomed with open arms. In fact, the president and his wife even had them at their private residence. Wow. What about those that are still in, uh, you know, I think of Pakistan, I think of Qatar, I think of those very much Islamic nations, how are they surviving? What do they need? Are, are, is the Shai Fund helping them? What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, this is where we have one of our strongest partnerships with Voice of the Martyrs. And I think because your goal and our goal is exactly the same, and it's to support the persecuted church. And so uh, we run a number of safe houses and we feed and clothe, we help them with medical assistance. Uh, and when they get processed and we're able to move them into freedom and their new lives, uh, whether it be Brazil or another country, you know, they've helped us with that process because all of that costs money, right? You have to do a COVID test now to board a flight. That costs money. You have to get to the, the embassy. You have to board the flight. The ticket costs money. And, you know, just the safe houses and the costs associated with keeping people in hiding. I have three families that have moved eight times in the last th three months. And we recently got a message that the there'd been some exposure that someone had reported on them and we had to move them quickly overnight. And one of them, we split them. Some of them we moved in one direction and the rest of them, we ended up hiding overnight in a mechanic store. And eventually we were able to find another safe house and move them into a safe house. But all of those logistics and all of that costs money, but without it, these believers would be dead and they would be made an example by the Taliban, of what happens to people who believe in Jesus. And so it's critical that people support and continue to give their support because it's in a very tangible way and it's saving their lives of the Afghan underground church. Amen. We are talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Charmaine Heading. She is the president of the Shai Fund. They are partnering with us to help Afghan Christians Charmaine, we talked about prayer, and we always like to equip our Voice of the Martyrs radio listeners to pray. Help us know some specific things that we can pray for Afghan Christians still in the country and also Afghan Christians who have fled the country. I think for the Afghans that are in the country, 
for those that have been exposed and the Taliban is hunting them down, we have to pray that the Lord will protect them and put angels around their places where they are hiding and that he will be gracious to give us the time and help us with the right path that we need to take in order to assist them. And so I think protection uh, of those that have been exposed. Uh, trauma, you know, if, you, if you're if you a child that's been in hiding for the last, since August, can you imagine you can't go to school? You know, your family is living under huge uh, pressure. You're moving from one safe house to another. The amount of pressure that this puts on uh, the family and their relationships. So pray for that because I always say God is in the family business. And so we need to keep these families and pray that the Lord will protect them and that they will remain strong and remain together. Um, so that's the second thing. And then, of course, obviously, if we have to get them out and it's a life and death situation, that the Lord would make a way and um, we would be able to do that. Uh, for those that are already, you know, on their way out and are in neighboring countries and are in the process, uh, you know, we need to pray that that process will go quickly because even where they are in what we call lily pads or these places that they're jumping from one to the next before they can get to their final destination and safety, it's still not safe for them there. And so uh, pray for them as they are in these lily pads and are waiting. Because sometimes this process can take years. And we've been trying to really expedite this process so that we can get them to safety and get them into church sponsorships. And this is critical because when you've been through this much trauma and persecution, and some of them have been interrogated, and some of them have been raped, and some of them have had awful things happen, and you've lived for a long period of time without work, without income, your children can't go to school. When you finally arrive, you have to have a believing uh, community that is going to accept you and to put their arms around you and understand the trauma because then a lot of the problems come out. And after you've been through a trauma, there's a lot of health problems that exhibit after that. And so then pray for them at that point. For us, it might seem like the end, you know, we've got them into safety and into a Christian community, but for them, it's only the really, it's the beginning of a whole new life, a whole new country, a whole new customs, a whole new language. And the trauma and the stress and the depression that can happen at that point, it's critical that the local body of Christ comes around them, prays for them, that we pray for them, because without that, that the chances are that they're gonna, they might fall away and we don't want that after all they've been through. So pray for them at that point too. And I think that's a great reminder for our listeners that that we can play a part in that. We can welcome, we can be that sort of hands and arms of Christ wrapping around them and, and welcoming them and helping them to find healing uh, and hope and help. Charmaine, if people want to connect with the Shy Fund, how I know you have a website. Where do people go to find out more? And they can go to our website. It's www.theshyfund.org. And Shy is S-H-A-I. And from there, you can fill out a form and it'll come to me and uh, eventually, and we will answer you. (laughs) 
Well, I thank you for that. And we will also give you a link when you come to vomradio.net. We'll link you over to the Shy Fund. We've been talking this week with Charmaine Heading. She is the president of the Shy Fund. They are partnering with the Voice of the Martyrs to help serve Afghan Christians, uh, serve those in surrounding nations, serve those still inside Afghanistan. Charmaine, thank you for your work and thank you so much for sharing with us this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. It's an honor and it's been a blessing. The partnership has been a great blessing to many and I'm thankful for it. Well, we are thankful for it as well. And I thank you for for sharing these stories, encouraging us, helping us to pray. You've been listening to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. As always, you can connect with us online at vomradio.net. You can listen to this episode again. You can share it with your Christian friends and others who will pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. You can also hear every past episode that we've had of Voice of the Martyrs Radio. All that, vomradio.net. And join us again next week as we continue to talk about what God is doing in hostile and restricted nations around the world. We'll see you next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.